Moses' writing of the law. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and then uh, we'll go down to verse number 4 and read down to verse number 9. And so, um, we'll read every other verse together, beginning in verse 1. And after we finish verse 2, we'll skip down to verse 4. I'll begin the reading in verse number 1. We'll read together verse number 2. The Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them... In the land, whether ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his commandments, rather his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that they may be prolonged. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Together, verse 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul with all thy might, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. The title of the sermon this morning, part of our family month series, is this Teaching My Children to Fear God. Teaching My Children to Fear God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that you have redeemed us and saved us. Lord, I pray that the sermon this morning would um, be a wake up call for my generation and the generation that follows behind me. And Lord, be a solid reminder to, Lord, those in here that are grandparents, parents of teenagers. And Lord, um, I pray, God, that uh, you'd give White Oak Baptist Church strong families. If our families are not strong, then our church is not strong. So, God, may the parents here fear you and then teach their children to fear you. We ask, God, that you'd move in our hearts this morning. And as I have prayed in my spirit all morning long, Lord, may your presence go with us today. Move in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see where we can improve and be better. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, if I were to have each parent or future parent write down the goals that they have, For their children, what would you write down? Uh, My mom-in-law has uh, told Matthew that her goal for Matthew is that he become the President of the United States. Um, I think a lot of moms probably have wanted that for their children. What goal would you write down, what goals, uh, if you could put them in bullet fashion, would you write down for your children? Um, I, I know that the best parental counselors walking the earth are those who have not yet had children. Remember before you had kids, you'd see some parent with a child and they're two, three, four years old, and they're just acting like a brat, and you're thinking, what's wrong with you? Get hold of that child. And you and your husband would sit, you and your wife would sit and dream and plan, and you you had this picture-perfect idea that, you know, they're nine and ten years old, and, you know, you're sitting on the couch and uh, with your spouse, and you, your daughter is curled up with a blanket by the fire reading a book, and your son's sitting there with a cup of hot chocolate and petting the dog. And life is perfect, right? Uh, There's no brats, there's no problems, everything is just hunky-dory. And then when you see other families where their kids don't act that way, and you haven't had kids yet, you think, man, those parents are terrible. Ah, get to hold themselves. Then you have a child. And then you realize, oh, I don't know how to do this. This is hard. What do I do? Um, that little devil comes along and you wonder how it could be so hard to get a little human to do as they're told. 
you know, a child's born and the doctor hands that crying child to you. And after a few minutes, the child stops maybe crying and you see four lifeless arms hanging in four different directions. Uh, and they're looking up at you as though you got to take care of me. And you think, wow, this is awesome. And then 20 months later, they're bossing you around. You're not bossing them around. And this is oftentimes how it goes. Now, when Solomon was raising his son, what did he instruct Rehoboam to do? He instructed him to fear God. Over and over again, he instructed him to fear God. Now, by way of introduction this morning, I would like you, if you're taking notes, to write these two questions down. This is for all parents future parents, and then if you're a grandparent, apply it in that case, okay? Question number one is this, do I fear God? Do I fear God? Write that down, do I fear God? And let me help you answer your own question there, alright? Here's how to know whether or not you fear God. Are there moments during the week where your flesh wants to do something wrong, And there is a pause, and you say to yourself, if I do this, I will displease my Savior. And then after you have paused and thought that, you change course of action. If there are moments where you do that, then that is a sign that you fear God. If you just run headlong into following every fleshly impulse or say no to your fleshly impulses for some other reason other than God loves you and doesn't want you to do that, then my friend, you don't fear God. You don't have a fear for God. So ask yourself this question, do I fear God? And then answer the question, how much do I fear God? All of us could be better. All of us could grow. All of us could uh, exceed where we are now. The second question I want you to write down, and again, apply it to your situation. This might be for future parents. This might be for current parents. This might be for grandparents. Uh, this might be for parents of adult children. Uh, here's the question, uh, am I raising my children to fear God? Am I raising my children to fear God? Or you could ask this question, do my children fear me? Do my children fear me? Do my children fear me? Now you say, well, which question do I write down? The truth is they both are kind of the same question. Because as your children learn to fear you, and if you fear God, then your children will learn to fear God. As parents and future parents, we must teach our children to fear God by teaching them to fear us. Now, please don't miss this, because this really is the, the, the core of the introduction and the launching point for the sermon. I watch parents everywhere I go. I've watched them since before I was a parent. I watch them as a parent. I look myself in the mirror and I see a parent every time I shave my face and comb my four hairs that I have on my head. And here's what I see. I see parents that fear their children. I don't oftentimes see parents that have children that fear them. If you... Do not get your children to fear you. There is a little chance that they will grow up and fear God. If you do not get your children to have a deep reverence and respect for you as their mom and dad, your children will never ever fully be able to grasp or will have a hard time grasping the concept of having a deep Reverence for God. Everybody turn over to Leviticus for me. Uh, Hold your place in Deuteronomy. I just want to show you this verse. Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 19. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, Verse Yes, Leviticus 19, verse number 3. And I showed this to my Sunday school class this morning, and so I think it bears repeating here. Now, uh, chapter marks and verse markings are not inspired by God. They were put there to help us be able to more quickly find things. It's an indexing system of sorts. However, 
paragraph markers are inspired by God. And uh, paragraph markers signify that in the writing, in the original writings, there was a break. Now, when you begin a new paragraph, you are beginning a new thought. Everybody understand that? You're beginning a new thought. Verse 1 and 2 is a paragraph. Verse 3 is a paragraph. Verse 4 is its own paragraph. In Leviticus 19, 5 through 8 is its own paragraph. And these thoughts build up to one truth, but they are their own individual thoughts. Look at verse 2. Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the context of verse 3 is that of a parent talking to children. Now, look at verse 3. Ye, all of you, shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep the Sabbaths. Look at the rest of the verse. I am the Lord your God. What is verse 3 about? Verse 3, the end game is getting children to fear God. But in order to get children to fear God, you must first get them to fear mom and dad. They must first learn to fear mom and dad. So again, question one, do I fear God? Question two, do my parent, do my children fear me or my grandchildren fear me? In order to get your children to do this, it is paramount that we understand that when our children are small, they get their idea of who God is from who their parents are. Now, to them, to a child, dad is the biggest, strongest, smartest person they know. Um, They grow up and they realize after a bit that's not true. It's been a bit since I've shared this story, so I'll share it quickly here. Um, We took our children to the Big E two years ago, and we took our children to the circus. I don't know that I'll go back. Uh, I was a little naive of everything that goes on at the circus. Uh, But we took our children to the circus, and there was a man at the circus who had a big timber log he put on his back and spun. And then there were a couple of women that sat on swings and he spun them as well. And my daughter watched that and her jaw hit the floor. And as we're walking out of the circus, she holds my hand and she says, Dad, Daddy, I used to think you were the strongest man in the world, but that man is stronger than you. There reaches a point where they realize that. But when they're born and they're looking up at you, they're looking up at someone to them is godlike. Is godlike. And dad, mom, your representation of your husband and the rules he establishes in the house. You are to help begin to mold the image of his opinion of God at a very young age. If you act like a pushover to your children, there's a chance they're going to run through life thinking God is a pushover. If you let your children violate the rules of your house with little to no consequences, there's a good chance when they get to their adult life, they'll run all over the rules of the Bible feeling as though there aren't going to be a, a severe consequences that follow. A little boy was asked to pray for the, at the dinner table in his father's absence. The little boy, only three years old, had prayed for his own food with his mother, but had never been asked to pray over the food for the entire family. Dad was away on a trip. And so the family joined hands, and the little boy bowed his head uh, with great uh, uh, nervousness, and he prayed this prayer. He said, Dear Dad, I miss you, and I hope you'll come home soon. Bless this food. Amen. What was this little boy doing? This little boy could not, three-year-old could not, separate dad and God. Dad and God. Now, as he gets older and his children get older, they realize that dad and God are not the same person. Okay? And, uh, but on some level, on a deep psychological level, there is always, even for me as an adult man, uh, uh, who is a theologian, uh, uh, I won't call myself a theologian, but someone who studies the Bible and preaches the Bible, there is still on some level uh, some uh, understanding of who God is based on how I was raised by my father. Here's my proposition this morning. If you do not teach your children to fear you, then they may never learn to fear God. I hope throughout the sermon this morning, all of you parents and future parents will see just how vital it is that your children learn to fear God. Fearing God is the doorway that leads to salvation. 
this week I was doing some reading on parenting, and I uh, I read a, a paragraph, and the paragraph didn't make this point, but it led me to a thought where I made this point in my head. Um, Romans 6.23, you know in some ways Romans 6.23 is a parenting verse? Does everyone here know what Romans 6.23 says? All the soul winners do. For the wages, say it with me if you know it, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Now, I'm not suggesting that parents in here kill their children when they do wrong. Alright? But are there wages for sin in your house? Are they consistent? Are they first time every time? Or are your children allowed to sin and face no wages? Face no payment? Um, God, as the Creator, offers wages when we do wrong. And as parents... There ought to be wages for sin. When your children, please hear me, please hear me, I got saved at four. Let me tell you what helped me get saved at the age of four. I had been punished every time my parents had seen me do wrong. From the time I was old enough to arch my back and say no, up until the day I got saved. And because I had done wrong and faced punishment, it was not hard for me to understand that there is an eternal punishment waiting for me when I do wrong. And because the eternal punishment is looming and God has created a way of escape, I need to put my faith in that. A lot lot of children may not see a need to get saved because they don't see that there are wages for sin with their parents. And so they have a hard time grasping the thought that there are wages for sin that are eternal. Mom and dads, it's on us to teach our children that there are wages, there is punishment awaiting when we do wrong, and that we need a God to step in and make up the difference for that eternal punishment. But not only is teaching our children to fear God the doorway to salvation, it also is the doorway to a successful Christian life. If you do not fear God, then you will not follow God. If you do not fear God, uh, then you will not, uh, uh, you will not follow God. You will not be a disciple of Christ. Uh, You will not properly put your faith in God. If you do not fear God, then your relationship with God uh, will be shallow at best. Will be shallow at best. I believe that part of the reason why so many folks struggle with a deep relationship with God is because they do not properly have a reverence, a fear, a respect for God. And that it goes back to a generation ago of parents who did not raise their children right. And now uh, my generation are not raising their children right. And listen, most parents, are uh, they fear their children. Their children don't fear them. Well, 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 well I don't want to have a run-in with my child because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I had one mom uh, tell me uh, this morning, we were uh, talking about my Sunday school lesson, and she said, most children, most parents uh, want to be their children's friend, and because of that, because they want to be the child's friend, they're not willing to be the parent. I remember my daughter, uh, when she was little, we were uh, going through a time of, of having to punish her multiple times a day, and, and I remember it was one of those days where we were just wore out. We were just punishing and punishing and punishing and punishing, and until she was about two and a half, uh, she was in trouble almost every minute of her life, until she was about two and a half, and she would have times where she'd do well, spurts of times, five minutes, and then she'd go right back to being punished, and uh, it, was, it was a constant punishing, 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 and I remember after I had punished her, uh, she was really upset, and, and she got through crying, and she looked up at me, and she said, Dad! I don't like you. And I looked at her and I said, I don't care. I said, it's not my job to make you like me. It's my job to make you obey me. And if you don't like me but obey me, then we're good. If you like me but disobey me, then we're not good. So go ahead and choose not to like me. I don't care if I'm your friend. I'm your dad. I wasn't called to be your friend. I was called to be your dad. And I turned around and walked out of the room. Some of you moms and dads need to get that mentality. God did not call you to be their friend. You know, on a basketball court, uh, both teams end up not liking the referees very much. The referees are not there to get the players to like them. The referees are there to, to, to make sure the rules are followed. And when the rules are broken, the referee needs, needs to blow the whistle. And if that whistle doesn't get blown, that referee's not doing his job. 
And mom and dad, God did not put you here to be friends. He put you here to get that child to fear you. Now, if you do it properly, they will reach a point in their teen years where they will be your friend. But after they've learned to revere you and fear you. And you've taught them to fear God. This morning, let's take a close look at this idea of fearing God. Let's look at four principles as we discuss this topic of teaching my children to fear God. Number one, point number one of the message this morning, please take notes, fears reverence. Fears reverence. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me, if you will, and look at verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 2. Look there, it says, That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes. And his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son. So this is to become a generational thing all the days of thy life. And that thy days may be prolonged. Fears reverence. What does it mean to fear God? Does that mean we walk around cowering in fear that he's going to take a stick and hit us over the head? Well, not totally. No. It comes down to reverencing God. Now, last Sunday evening, as part of my sermon, I gave the definition of reverence. I'm going to do it again here because it fits the message. And so, please write this definition down. It'll be up on the screen. And go back and moms and dads, sit down together, or if you're single parents, sit down by yourself and go back over this and ask yourself, am I getting my children to revere me? Here's the definition. To have such awe or respect for a person as to invoke a measure of fear To show great respect. Let me say that again. To have such awe, leave that definition up there for a few moments if you don't mind. To have such an awe, such awe or respect for a person as to invoke a measure of fear. To show great respect. I remember as a boy, my dad would call my name. And he would say it in such a way where I didn't know if I was in trouble or if he just needed me. And I remember hearing my name from the other side of the room and fear would run down my body. And I would walk to him timidly, and I'd say, "Yes, sir." He'd say, "Go to the go to the uh, garage and get my uh, Phillips head screwdriver." And I think, Whew, everything's okay. You know why? Because I, I, there was a fear there. I had such a reverence for my dad that there was a fear there. There was a respect there. Does that mean that I walked around like this around my dad all the time? No, 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 no. I've said this before. I love when my dad came home. Listen, my dad and I would go on trips together and we'd have a great time together. But the relationship came underneath the idea of me fearing him, reverencing him, respecting him. He lived in a respectable way. He lived in such a way that great fear was invoked on me. I heard, um, how many of you here know who James Dobson is? Anybody here know who James Dobson is? Okay. Um, uh, I, you know, I don't fully endorse anybody. But James Dobson tells a story about a, a Dotson dog he owned. And if you know who James Dobson is, he's a child, a, a children's pediatrician slash psychologist. And so he nicknamed or he named the dog Sigmund Freud and he nicknamed the dog Old Siggy, Old Siggy. And Siggy was a Dotson and Dotsons, they have a will of their own. They do what they want. He said that um, uh, uh, Siggy would not do what Siggy was told to do. When people would come on the lawn, Siggy wouldn't bark. When a toy was thrown to be played with, he wouldn't chase it. He wouldn't chase the gophers out of the garden. Uh, he just would not do his job. And if you wanted him to do something, he'd just do the opposite. Well, uh, for six years, he was able to get Siggy to go into the enclosure that he slept in in the living room every night. But after six years, he said he took a trip to Miami for three days. And when he came back from that trip, he, uh, he, it was time uh, to go through the ritual of putting Siggy in his bed. So he walks in the bathroom where Siggy's positioned on top of the rugged carpet on top of the toilet. And he says to Siggy, time to go off the bed. And Siggy wraps his paws around the toilet and shows his molars and, and begins to bark as if to say, get lost, buddy. I'm not going anywhere. And he said, you go to bed right now. And Siggy again began to bark. So he uh, knew the only way to get Siggy to do what he needed him to do is to threaten him with total destruction. So he, and those are his words. So he went to the bedroom and he got a belt and he came back. And at this point, Siggy is hiding behind Mrs. Dobson. And Mrs. Dobson moves out of the way, and Siggy begins to bark, and he raises the belt in the air, and he says, Go to your bed! 
And Siggy refuses, so he whacks him across the backside. Siggy snaps at the belt. He whacks him across the backside again, and Siggy launches at him and tries to bite him. And he said, for the next 30 minutes, they fought their way up and down every wall, inch by inch, moving him closer to the bed. Siggy attacking him, him attacking old Siggy. Finally, he got him backed in the corner, and, and, and he just continued again to whip him and whip him. And finally, Siggy retired to his bed, and he went to sleep. He said the next night, when he told Siggy to go to his bed, he expected a fight again, but this time, Siggy just put his head down and walked to his bed. Now, maybe Mr. Dobson is over-humanizing a dog, but I don't think so. You know, there are some dogs that will only obey their master once the master has earned the right to respect Now, what I'm going to say next might sting some people in the room, but please know I'm saying this with love. If you don't know how to obey yourself and follow through on punishing your children, your children do not respect you. Your children have you trained. You don't have your children trained. You've got to earn that respect. You've got to prove to them that you're worthy of being their parent. You know, parenting is very paradoxical because children want you to lead them, but they want to challenge you at every turn. They want to know that when they cross the line, there's going to be punishment. And believe it or not, they feel safe and secure when that punishment happens because they know you're looking out for them. Fears reverence. Fears reverence. The Israelite... Now, let's go back to Deuteronomy 6, and let's center this around the Scriptures. The book of Deuteronomy really is more written to the greatest generation of Israelites ever to live. Um, and it's written to the children of those that, that came through the Red Sea. All right. So you have the adults that left Egypt, and you have their children and those that were yet still unborn. That's who Deuteronomy is written to. Uh, and what have these impressionable children seen God do? Please listen. The Israelites, these children, the Israelite children who Deuteronomy was written to, they had watched God thoroughly chastise their parents from the time that they, the children, were at a young and tender age. What had they seen God do? They had seen God open up the earth and swallow rebellious rebellious Korah and his followers. They had watched as fiery serpents had gone through and had struck the people because of their sin. They watched as 3,000 of their parents or their friends' parents were killed by the Levites because they had danced around the golden idol and refused to repent of it. They watched as a plague came in behind that and killed several more of their parents or friends' parents. They had watched as their parents had walked right up to Kadesh Barnea had a chance to cross over in the promised land, but because of their unbelief in God, refused to go in. And they had watched as God had said, okay, walk around that wilderness and die, and I'll let your children go in. You know what they had watched? They had watched God be respectable. And you know why this generation would become the greatest generation? It was because they feared God. They revered God. They knew when God said to do something, that it would be done. You remember when Ai hid the gold under his tent? And God allowed 38 of them to die? And the sin was dealt with? Do you know why it was handled in such a respectable way? Because they had seen God in the wilderness, how He handled things, and they knew that God meant business, and they knew He wasn't playing around, and there was a reverence and a respect there, and and, and maybe Achan wasn't on board, but boy, the rest of them were. And, And when Achan was dealt with, they were ready to take their marching orders and go forth. Number two, notice a child's rebellion. A child's rebellion. What was... What was Moses telling these children of Israel to do? He was telling them, you must fear God. But the reality is, as a mom and dad, some children, they're difficult. They're very difficult. Letter A, notice, they're foolishness. Turn over with me, hold your place in Deuteronomy. Turn over with me to Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. While you're turning there, I'll quote for you a verse out of Psalm 51. David said, In sin did my mother conceive me. Where does the sin nature begin in a child? It begins at conception. Your child 
your child was born in sin. Now, I know that us parents want to believe the best about our children. But the truth is that your little child is not an angel. If we're going to compare your child to an angel or a devil, your child's more of a devil than an angel. You say, Pastor, that's offensive. Hey, I've got children too, and I'm right there with you. Now, it's our job to, to, to drive that from them. Look at Proverbs 22:15. It says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That child that's born to you is no angel. That child that's born to you is born with foolishness in their heart. And mom and dad, God has given you that child because He wants you to drive the foolishness from Him. From Him. Now, as you're trying to teach that child to fear you and in turn fear God, uh, you're going to face foolishness in the heart, disobedience in the heart, and you must wage war on their sin nature. You must decide that you're not going to give them the benefit of the doubt in their wrongdoing, but you're going to step up and you're going to be a a, a valiant foe and you're going to fight not against them, but against the sin nature that is deep down inside their heart. Let's couple this with letter B and notice their forceful will. Their forceful will. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 15. Turn over there for me. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 15. I want you moms and dads to see what the end result is going to be if you don't get the foolishness out of that child's heart. Look at verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. By the way, that's God's method of dealing with a rebellious heart. You say, well, I don't like spanking. Now listen, I'm not for anybody beating their child or beating them out of anger. But boy, a little pressure applied to the posterior that draws a couple of tears, it's It's healthy. It's healthy. You know why God gave your child a bottom? To be spanked. Now, I'm not for anybody leaving a bruise on a child. And I'm not for any parent hitting a child out of anger. But boy, you can do this in a way that's cold and calculated and careful. You can follow a method and a plan that gets that child's attention and helps them to see that there is no room for that foolishness in this house. Look back at verse 15. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Oh, I see so many parents who are heartbroken over the way their children behave. You know what happens if we don't fully remove the foolishness from a child's heart? You're going to break your heart, mom and dad. Look at chapter 3, verse 12 of Proverbs. A sermon like this can be hard for some who have adult children. I promise you my intent is not to belittle you or put you down. My, ch- my point in this is to help the, those with children to see the importance of raising their child right. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Now, I want to try to paint a visual picture of something that will happen in thousands of homes across America tonight. Okay? I told my class this morning when we began talking about this topic that the child's name I'm going to use this morning is a name that I don't believe is in our church. So I'm not picking on anybody, alright? The child's name is Henry. Alright? We're going to name the child Henry. And we're going to put Henry in the middle of Des Moines, Iowa. And, and, and here's what's going to happen with Henry tonight, alright? And thousands like him, and maybe even some of you, I hope not, but maybe even some of you. Henry's going to be in his room, or in a playroom, playing with a bunch of blocks. Henry's a seven or eight year old boy, we'll say he's eight years old. And Henry's mom walks by and says, Henry, put your blocks away and go get in the bathtub. Henry knows his mom doesn't mean it, Henry's mom knows she doesn't mean it. Henry's mom is simply just trying to say, you need to start thinking about winding down to go get in the bathtub. But she doesn't say, start thinking about winding down. She gives an order. Uh, you need to put your blocks away and go get in the bathtub. Henry knows mom does not mean business. 
Dad is in the living room and does nothing to help, by the way. Shame on Dad. But Henry's, Henry knows Mom doesn't mean business. About five minutes later, Henry's mom walks back by the bedroom or by, by the playroom and says, Henry, I told you, you need to put those blocks away and you need to go get in the bathtub. Henry again ignores his mother and he continues to play. Five minutes more goes by and she comes to the room and says, Henry, I told you twice now, put those blocks away and go to the bathtub. Henry watches as his mom looms over him and he begins to put a few of the blocks away. As soon as she walks out, he pulls the blocks back out and continues to play. Henry's mom comes in now a little more exasperated and says, Henry, how many times do I have to tell you, clean the blocks up and go get in the bathroom? Do I need to get your dad involved? You better get to it right now. Henry begins to clean up the blocks, seeing that his mom is now more upset and is approaching the line of punishment, and he begins to put the blocks away. But then her, her phone rings or uh, her attention gets distracted, and so he uh, finishes cleaning up the blocks, but never gets in the bathtub. Now he's running up and down the hall, pulling more toys out and misbehaving. Finally, Henry his mom is coming. She has totally lost it with Henry. Henry, I said you quit. You get in the bathtub. And she picks him up and he's kicking and screaming. And she gets him and puts him in the bathtub. And now she's exhausted and he's, he's laughing inside. And he knows he's got his mom all worked up. Henry eventually gets to bed and mom is wore out thinking, why is parenting so hard? Can I tell you how that should have gone down? Now, In all fairness to children, they need a little bit of a warning before it's time to quit playing. The mom should have walked in and said, Henry, I'm setting a timer on my phone or on the stove. When that timer goes off, you need to immediately begin to clean up your blocks and go get in the bathtub. You have ten minutes. That timer goes off. Henry keeps playing with his blocks. Henry's mother needs to walk in. You're going to be Henry. Okay. She needs to grab him by the cheeks, look him in the eye and say, I told you to go get in the bathtub. You better do it right now or you're going to face consequences you don't like. You did a great job. Did you get that on the live stream? All right. You know what Henry realizes? Mom means business. And if he doesn't get cleaning up, boy, he's going to wish he had. A lot of moms and dads think that the only reason my children will obey is if I yell and scream and holler, throw things, pitch a fit. You know, it's not about the yelling, screaming, hollering, and pitching a fit. It's going to get the child to obey. They're They're waiting for that line where you mean business. So you can either set the line at screaming and yelling and hollering, Or you can set the line at, the first time I told you to do it, you're going to do it. Now, mom and dad, you get to set the line, not them. Do you know that if my children are running, and it it, it took years to get them here, but if my children are running around this room and playing after church in a way that's too rambunctious, all I've got to do while talking to one of you is make eye contact with Matthew and do this right here. And he immediately stops running. Because he knows if he doesn't, what's going to come when he gets home. Now, why is it that I can control my child with a nod of my head, but some of you have to scream and yell and holler to get yours to obey? No, I'm not here to put me up and put you down. That's not the purpose of this. But I am here to say you do not need to yell at your child to get them to do what you want them to do. They might have a forceful will, and it may take you a few years to break that will. But it begins with consistency, and it begins with first time every time. There's room to be patient in parenting, but it isn't time to be patient when they're sinning. There needs to be looming and immediate consequences. A child's rebellion. Mom and dad, you've got to decide how you're going to handle that. Number three. Number three. Fear's relationship. Now, uh, Brother Joe, if you could go back in the, in the uh, slides there. I skipped a slide accidentally. Under fear's reverence, I had this uh, that was supposed to go up. Here it is. Fearing God begins with fear that God will hurt me. I'm going to build on this with fear's relationship. Let me just take a moment here. Do you know that when I was two and three years old, I didn't obey my dad because I knew he loved me? I obeyed my dad because I was stinking scared to death of him. He had showed me, if I don't obey, there's going to be pain and wailing of tears that will come. 
And it's every time. And I said, boy, I don't want that. I don't want that. Now, this is a very immature definition of fear. But this is where fearing God begins. And this is where fearing you begins. It begins with fear that God is going to hurt me. You know, some of the times the reason why I don't do wrong is because I know that I'm going to have to deal with the chastising hand of God. And I just don't want to deal with that. Let me word it this way to parents in the room today. Your children are not going to obey you when they're little because, because you love them. Your children are going to obey you because they're stinking scared to death of you. Are your children afraid of you? Are they afraid of you? They need to be. Now, under fear's relationship, put that next definition up there for me. Fearing God. Here it comes. Pause for effect. Fearing God, uh, fearing God matures into fear that I will hurt God. It matures into fear that I will hurt God. There, there grows a point in your relationship with God where you know that if you do wrong, you're going to hurt the heart of God. You're going to, you're going to grieve the Spirit of God. And now that's another level. One of the many reasons why I walk a tight rope in my life is because I know that if I were to fall in sin, that would break my mother's heart. I would break my father's heart. And I'm scared to death of letting them down because I know how much they love me. I know how much they care for me. I know how much they've invested in me. And that translates to God in heaven. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to fool around. I don't want to act the fool. I don't want to run and break my God's heart because He died on the cross for me and He loved me and He saved me and He's worked to sanctify me and if I throw it all away to live a life of sin, then I am breaking the heart of God. Boy, that thought motivates me to do what's right. Mom and dad, there ought to be a point in time in your child's relationship where a fear of a spanking is no longer the needed motivation to get them to do right. The fear of disappointing you and letting you down is enough to keep them honest and keep them on track. Let me give you quickly here an A, B, and a C. Letter A, a loving relationship. Fear's relationship, a loving relationship. Go back with me to Deuteronomy and uh, chapter 6 and verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse number 2. Notice here it says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments when I command thee, thou and thy son and thy uh, son's son all the day of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Look down at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Why does God want us to love Him? Because He wants to have that father-son, father-daughter, loving relationship with us. He so longs to have it. And once we reverence Him, once we fear Him, once we know that He's a God that chastises and punishes us when we do wrong, He comes behind within the confines of that relationship and He says, now that you're walking according to My commandments, let Me love you. And boy, that love grows deep and fine. Turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 12. Boy, this generation in Israel, they got it. They understood. They feared God. They walked with God all the days of their life. The end of the book of Joshua tells us. Look at chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him. And to love Him. And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. You know what ends up happening when you have children that are willing to follow the rules of the home and revere you and respect you? What ends up happening is this great, deep fondness and love are enjoyed. I had a mom sit in my office years ago in another ministry. And she told Angela and I, she said, I love my children. By the way, her children at the time were 12 and I think 9. She said, I love my children. She said, but I hate coming home from work. When I park my car, I sit in the car, I take the keys out of the ignition, and I say to myself, do I have to go in and deal with those little devils? She said, I love my children, but I do not like my children. And I can tell you right now, her children ran all over her. 
I felt bad for her. And we tried to help her. You know when you get to a place where you enjoy being around your children? You enjoy being around your children when you have done the groundwork of showing them that there are wages for their sin. They learn to live inside the box of the rules that you establish. And they enjoy and thrive in that box. And that loving relationship grows deeper and fonder and more enjoyable. A loving relationship. Quickly, let her be a laborious relationship. I don't have a lot of time to develop this thought, but we'll touch it. I'll whet your appetite and encourage you to go back and study more. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. Look here. And thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him. And serve Him. Turn over with me to chapter 10 and verse number 20. Chapter 10 and verse 20 of Deuteronomy. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve. Turn over to Joshua. Next book over. Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 14. Joshua 24 and verse 14. I'll begin reading. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. I think I counted 10 or 12 verses in the Bible where serving God is attached to fearing God. And here's the quick point I made in my Sunday school class. We spent a lot of time on this this morning. But in order for your children to fear you, there needs to be a structure of service within your home. There needs to be chores assigned to them that they do regimentally where they're not paid to do that. They just do that because they live in your home and they're carrying their share of the responsibility and the load. And there is labor involved in a fearing relationship. Mom and Dad, if you're going to teach your children to fear you, please don't miss this. This is the essence of it. You can't serve them. They need, in part, to serve you. Now, you're going to serve their spiritual needs. You're going to take care of raising them and nurturing them. But it doesn't need to be where you're bowing down to their every whim and need. They say, Mom, can we go to McDonald's? Okay, let's go to McDonald's. Mom, can I go to the trampoline park? Let's go to the trampoline park. Hey, Mom, can I have a bowl of cereal at 1130 at night? Okay, let me make that for you. Let me make your bed. Let me coddle. Let me dope. No, no, no. There needs to be a relationship where you tell your child to do something and they do it and they obey and they're involved and they serve. Letter C, notice a loyal Relationship. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. I'm almost done. Please stay with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. The Bible says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him. Look at the rest of the verse. And shalt swear by His name. You know what that is? That's a loyalty. That's a loyalty. You say, well, um, loyalty is a two-way street, isn't it, Pastor? Absolutely. Turn over to chapter 11 and verse 25. Now, remember, the theme of chapter 6, really, the theme of Deuteronomy, are the results of what happened when we fear God. Look at chapter 11, verse 25. Thou shalt, there shall no man... Be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon as hath, uh, as he hath said unto you. Hey, because you fear me, people, your enemies will fear you because of me. Because of me. I think of a little boy or maybe a chihuahua who's nipping and barking at a, another mid-sized dog. And that chihuahua thinks he's just big and bad and tough. What he doesn't realize is that his big uh, brother bulldog is standing right behind him. And that, little, that mid-sized dog isn't afraid of the chihuahua. He's afraid of what's behind the chihuahua. And you know what, Christian? If you are loyal to God, you've got a God who's much bigger and greater than you are standing behind you to defend you and make you up. I think of David who shakes his fist at Goliath and says, I'm going to feed you to the birds, buddy. It wasn't David Goliath should have been afraid of. It was the Lord behind David that David feared. And God's loyal to those who are loyal to Him. God's loyal to those that fear Him. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Moms and dads, if you want your children to be raised in a way that is respectable to 
they're respectable citizens and respectable Christians, then you must teach them to fear you so they can grow up to fear God. To the grandparents in the room, you're going to have time where you're with your grandchildren. You're going to teach them what it means to fear God by modeling that in front of them. Showing them that love. I've only touched on a small portion of what we could have touched on today, but I hope that what we've talked about has whet your appetite to prepare you. To maybe change your parental model up a little bit. To teach those children to have a deep reverence for you and a deep reverence for God. Let's have our heads bowed. Lord, I pray this morning that the sermon would... Be revolutionary for some and a strong reminder for others. Help, Lord, our church to be a church filled with families that follow the model that you have for us. Lord God, the truth is there's not a single parent in the room that has it all together. Not one. Lord, we're all sinners. We all fall short. And the Lord, Lord, the truth is for my children on down, if we were to go up to junior church, we were to inject them with truth serum, and we were to have them share our faults, they all could list a lot of faults. And Lord, where we fall short, may we make up the difference with prayer. May we bathe our children in prayer day in and day out. Whether our children are two days old or into their adulthood. May we show our children what it means to live a life of reverence to You. God, there are those in the crowd this morning that don't have any children. Maybe the sermon isn't as applicable to them. God, would You help them to check their heart to see how much they fear You and as Your child, how much they're loving You. Lord, the depth of our Christian life is completely dependent upon our ability to fear You. Because through that fear, our relationship grows deeper. Oh Lord God, help us. Help us to follow Deuteronomy 6.5, that we love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that, Lord, we teach our children and our children's children to do the same. Lord, I pray you'd convict hearts and lives. Do a great work in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.